Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is the true story of Renee Poole. Her husband, Brent, and her lover, John Brazier. It's a story of lust. Renee would turn heads, there's no doubt about that. Sex. Renee Poole used sex to manipulate men. There was just something about her. And cold-blooded murder. I definitely believe John was in love with Renee and was going to do anything for her. Beware. Extreme passion can lead to shocking consequences. Winston-Salem, North Carolina, is a quiet southern town surrounded by rolling farmland and acres of tobacco fields. It's here, in 1991, that 14-year-old Renee Summy begins a new chapter of her life as a freshman at R.J. Reynolds High School. Renee Summy was a typical American teenager. Average student, maybe a little bit vacuous, but the bottom line is she had all the same hopes and dreams of any other teenager. She wanted things to turn out well. That fall, Renee meets Brent Poole. He's 17 years old and a senior. A big difference at that age. He fell head over heels in love with her. She's a little younger than he was, but he loved her and they were high school sweethearts. Brent and Renee become a couple, but they come from very different worlds. Brent's home life growing up was loving and stable, while Renee's was difficult and chaotic. Brent Poole seemed to be the all-American kid. Good-looking, seemed to come from a very, very good family that was very Christian. Just an overall seemed to be a very good guy. Renee's background was that she did not get along with her mom. There was a lot of tension there. There was a lot of arguments. You know, there was running away from home. For Brent's parents, Renee is going to raise their eyebrows from the very beginning. 
She doesn't come from as solid a family as they are, and they've raised Brent to be a very honorable, high-achieving young man, so this is clearly not the kind of girl they want their son to fall in love with. For the whole school year and all through the summer, Renee and Brent stay together. And in the fall, when Brent goes off to college in Tennessee, Renee drops out before her sophomore year of high school to follow him. Friends related to us that Brent was in love with Renee. That basically she was in charge of the relationship. She was the stronger of the two. She could manipulate, get him to do anything she wanted him to do. And that Brent was almost naive in the ways of emotional relationships. Renee wanted someone who would love her and be there for her after her unstable home life. And she found that in Brent. For the next three years, the pair is inseparable. Then, one day in the spring of 1995, Brent drops a bombshell on his parents. He told me that Renee was pregnant and wanted to know if they could get married. I felt like it was her way of trapping him into a situation where he couldn't get out of it. But he's still our son, so we're going to support him 100% throughout the process. The two are quickly married on June 9, 1995, in a small ceremony. But right away, it's clear that Renee doesn't fit in with Brent's family. To me, it seemed like they were kind of an odd match, only because Brent was very outgoing and she was more reserved and didn't seem to make a whole lot of effort to be a part of the family. She wasn't really very friendly as such. She's kind of stood off by herself most of the times. So it was kind of hard to get to know her. But all differences are put aside when Renee gives birth to their daughter, Katie, in November 1995. When Katie was born, Brent was just ecstatic. I had trouble seeing him as a dad because I still pictured him as the kid that, you know, is outside playing and cutting up, but he adored Katie. That same year, Brent gets a job as a diesel truck mechanic, and he and Renee buy a new home. The young couple is building a promising new life. For a young guy, he was doing well. You know, he had a good work ethic and he was bright and reliable. And so they saw good things for Brent and they were moving him up through the company. But while things are looking up for Brent with his new job and young family, Renee isn't happy. The young mother hates her new life as a stay-at-home mom. In her mind, having a little girl and being married and buying the house you know, was gonna fulfill some needs in her, and it didn't. When she has a baby, all of a sudden it's not about her anymore. Everybody's looking at the baby instead of her, and that just didn't suit her. In early 1996, Renee decides she needs some freedom and a life outside the home, so she makes a bold move. She applies to be a topless dancer at a local club called the Silver Fox. The Silver Fox was a strip club in that area of Winston-Salem, there are several nightclubs. It seems to be a little bit on the seedy side, full of girls in there dancing. It's a 180-degree turn from Renee's stifling home life, and it's exactly the kind of excitement she's been looking for. She kind of had an exotic look about her. She just seemed very womanly, and she just seemed older than her years. I mean, she was only 21. There was just something about her. 
Renee would turn heads, there's no doubt about that. She was very tall and slender, about five foot nine, probably about 115 pounds, dark brown hair, very structured cheekbones and a very structured nose. She was very attractive. Renee has never danced on stage before, but that doesn't matter. What she lacks in experience, she makes up for with raw sex appeal. She didn't have an education. She didn't have a profession. She didn't have, you know, some other skill set or talent that she could gain that sort of uh, focus on. So she used her sexuality and her good looks. Renee is a natural. Right away, she's a hit with the strip club's regulars. I think she liked being the center of attention. I think she liked being the star. She liked everybody looking at her. She liked being in charge. She had the guys coming after her, and she had guys willing to pay money. One man offered for her to come clean his house if she would do it in the nude. And on many nights, Brent comes to watch. Now, everyone can see how hot his wife is. She said that he liked the fact that she was doing it, the fact that he could just show her off to his friends. Sometimes he would come down there, bring his friends to the strip club, and just say, that's my wife, that he was very proud of it. And whether he was there because it was something he was enjoying, you know, having other people watch his wife, or whether it was, you know, I want to stake out my territory, you know, I want to be there just to make sure she comes home with me, or maybe a mixture of all of that, I, I can't say. Brent may have had conflicting feelings about his wife's newfound career, but one thing is clear. He likes the rewards that come with it. I don't think he had a problem with her dancing there, mainly because of the money that was coming in, you know, because strippers, they can make a very lucrative business, and being a brand-new young family, I think the money aspect is what led him to approve of her dancing there. They're really just happy that she's bringing home some extra money, and there's not as much pressure on him to be the sole breadwinner. But for Renee, it's not all about money. Life at the club is also an opening to explore her wildest fantasies. Renee had actually brought some females home, and Brent would stay in the living room while Renee was in the bedroom with the female having sex. It's interesting to consider whether or not her relationships with other women were part of sexual needs or just more attention-seeking. It's really not about her. It's about getting the guys to look at her, to want her, to have a fantasy about her in a whole new light. Having sex with other women is just the beginning of Renee's new erotic adventures. She also begins sleeping with other men, including her husband's friends friends of Brent that had had relationships with her. Every one of them wanted to keep it secret from Brent. It does seem that Renee had to have constant companionship, never wanted to be alone, and was just really trying to satisfy her needs with anybody and everybody that she could. Brent remains ignorant of his wife's sordid affairs, but the gossip begins to spread around town. I had heard the rumors that, you know, Renee had had a lot of different type boyfriends and, and that kind of stuff. And 
didn't know for sure whether or not that was true or how much of it was just being made up. Then, one afternoon in early 1998, the rumors of Renee's other relationships are confirmed. We received a videotape at our home, and we also received some photographs of a gentleman that was having an affair with her. And these show him proposing to her. And she says, yes, I'll marry you. So this is a fantasy world that she lives in that she can get men to do and, and, and whatever she wants them to do. And Brent also receives an anonymous call. Brent got a phone call at work from a guy saying, you have no idea who all your wife is sleeping with. I'm sleeping with her right now. For Brent, the idea of his wife having sex with other men is very different from the erotic games Renee's enjoyed with the female dancers. Now it's betrayal. To hear this news from the man who's saying, I'm sleeping with your wife, Renee, to have it come from him instead of his wife is a true affront to his masculinity because the inference is you're not enough of a man for your wife, Brent Poole. Only I can make her satisfied. Brent races home from his job in Charlotte, an hour's drive away. The powerful forces of passion and jealousy have been released. And now the question is, will Brent's rage end in violence or murder? Renee Poole is a housewife and the mother of a two-year-old daughter. She's also a topless dancer at the Silver Fox Gentlemen's Club in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Over the course of her short marriage, Renee has engaged in multiple affairs that she's been able to keep hidden from her husband, Brent, until now. After receiving an anonymous tip about his wife's cheating, Brent drives home in a rage. My wife called me and said, you need to come home. Said, Brent and Renee's here, we need to talk to you, and so, I'm pretty panicked, and I got home as soon as I could. And when I walked in, you could tell there was something serious wrong, and Brent's uh, hand was skinned up. His mother told me, said, uh, Renee's been having an affair, and Brent had found out about it. And uh, he became angry, and he put his fist through the door. Brent's parents try their best to mediate between their son and daughter-in-law. And we sat there and talked to him, and I said, well, if y'all want this marriage to work, you can't have this kind of lifestyle. Renee reluctantly agrees to quit working at the Silver Fox and vows to leave the club's wild ways behind her. She returns to the daily routine of watching her daughter and keeping house. But Renee is miserable. She just often said that she felt tied down. She felt tied down with Katie, and that Brent was not making her happy, wasn't providing her with the kind of things that she wanted, and that just was not settling right with her. It was just confining to her to, you know, to have a little baby at home and, you know, the, the hard work that goes along with that, the drudgery of it. It just wasn't this excitement and new people all the time and everybody's looking at you and, you know, you're not a star. That was something she could do in this other life that she had. 
Renee is deeply dissatisfied. Their marriage teeters on the brink of collapse. She didn't seem very happy, but I had no idea to the extent of what was going on in their marriage. In the case of Renee Poole, the needs that were being fulfilled by the stripping are still there. They're still unmet. Just making the promise to be faithful isn't going to actually get rid of her need for attention, her need to be a star, her need to have all eyes on her and for people to want her. And that is going to make a very unhappy person who makes a choice but finds that she can't live with it. To escape her boredom at home, Renee drops by the Silver Fox one evening in March 1998 to see old friends. She meets a man named John Frazier. Frazier is a computer technician by day, but moonlights as a DJ at the Silver Fox. And he's also a frequent patron. John Frazier's kind of tall, probably six foot, was slightly overweight. He's got these penetrating eyes. And the, the way he looked at you, you don't forget it. He wasn't a particularly attractive fella. He wasn't a particularly bright fella. He wasn't a wealthy fella. The best way for John to pick up women was through working in the strip club. I don't think he had a lot of relationships in his life. And when it came to love, I think he was kind of a loser. As Renee's relationship with Frazier intensifies, people around her wonder what the attraction could be. But Renee and Frazier had a connection, and something about him was drawing Renee closer. She needed some man to make things magical for her so that she would forget all about stripping. I think that she felt emotions for him that she didn't feel for her husband, and her fantasy life started revolving around John Frazier. He did love to party. He loved to be at that nightclub type scene and to dance and drink and that kind of stuff. And, and that was different from my brother. I think she just gravitated towards him for the freedom of being able to do what she wanted to do. For the next two months, Frazier and Renee continue their affair behind Brent's back. Renee repays the lavish attention she's been getting by indulging one of Frazier's fantasies, videotaping their sexual escapades. I think most men wanted to sleep with Renee Poole and move on. I think they spotted her as you know, sort of an easy conquest, but they didn't want to have any kind of relationship with her. I mean, she was married and she had this child and they weren't interested in that. I think the difference is John Frazier, I think that he was so desperate for female attention that when she showed him some, he was willing to turn this into something more than just a, a, a one night stand. But while Frazier has fallen deeply in love with the brunette vixen, Renee's motives aren't so clear. I would absolutely love to know what she saw in this guy, because on the outside, he did not seem like anyone that, you know, you would walk away from a marriage for. I believe it was an exit strategy. I think she wanted to try to figure out a way to get out of the marriage and to get out of what she felt was a very confining type of a lifestyle. And John Frazier was no more than a method. Within a few weeks of starting her steamy affair with Frazier, Renee makes a choice that will change everything. On May 1st, 1998, 
Brent returns home late one night after work. Renee has moved out. Brent walked into the house and everything was gone. Most of his belongings, you know, furniture, almost everything was gone. And Katie. And then we got the phone call that night uh, when Brent got home and he was hysterical. Brent is heartbroken and frantic. He calls around all night looking for Renee. He discovers she's with John Frazier. Brent did have contact with John Frazier. He would call and he would talk to John and say, you know, I want my wife back. I want her to come back. I can't even imagine what those conversations were like to be talking to another man, you know, asking him to let his wife come back home. But Renee is far from ready to go home. She's gotten the escape and freedom she was craving. Renee Poole made it clear that she didn't intend to return home. I mean, it was not as if she moved out and it was like, hey, I need a couple of weeks off and then we'll get back together. It was, you know, I don't want to be married to you. I'm done with you. Renee Poole has dealt a harsh blow to her husband, Brent. But Brent still loves Renee and he'll do anything to save their marriage. Only the tighter he tries to hold on to her, the more intense the pressure will grow until it explodes in violence and death. <laughs> 21-year-old Renee Poole has left her husband, Brent, and taken their two-year-old daughter to live with her lover, John Frazier. Her husband is devastated and will do anything to get her back. But for now, Renee has no plans to return to her marriage. I think Renee was probably attracted to John for the freedom of being able to get away from Brent and having somebody to go to. She saw him as someone where she had a place to stay, roof over her head. He had a decent job. He helped with uh, Katie. Despite only knowing Frazier for a few months, Renee decides to end her marriage to Brent. She sees a divorce lawyer Frazier recommends. Lawyer said, you know, Mrs. Poole, you want a divorce, we can get you a divorce. I can, I can help you with that, I can represent you on that. But you have uh, abandoned the marital home in the middle of the night, you're engaged in an adulterous affair with your boyfriend, and you know, you've got no means of support other than working in a strip club. Brent's going to get custody of Katie, and you know, you're going to be out of luck as far as any financial support coming from Brent Poole. The lawyer's advice stuns Renee. Without child support, she cannot afford the wild night life she craves. I think Renee wanted what she wanted. Katie, to her, was a possession, just like a bracelet or a car. And I think she had in her mind... As long as I've got Katie, I've sort of got a meal ticket in this world. I think that she realized she couldn't have Katie. She was going to regroup and do something different. As Renee tries to find a plan that will let her keep her daughter, Brent's parents push him towards filing for divorce. We talked seriously to our son about getting an attorney, you know, and getting some custody issues and getting separation papers established. And I actually had an appointment to do that on a Monday. 
But the day before Brent's appointment with a divorce attorney, the phone rings. It's Renee. She contacts Brent and basically says, I was all wrong. You are right. I love you. I want to come home. I want to try to make this marriage work. You know, this was just a terrible mistake I made, and I want to get back together with you. I said, Brent, get off the phone and, and let's let this thing go and let's follow through. And he absolutely wouldn't. It's as if he didn't hear you. Brent is desperate to get his wife and daughter home. It's only been two weeks since Renee told Brent she was done with the marriage, but now she decides to move back. That night, Brent readies the house and waits for his wife, and waits. When Renee never showed up that night at the house and Brent was getting more and more nervous, we called and John answered. And Brent was so nervous, he handed me the phone. And he immediately began cursing. He used every word in the book that she was not coming back. She did not love Brent, she loved him. I was just sitting there, just stunned. Could not believe the anger that was coming out of him. By the end of the night, it's clear, Renee isn't coming home. But strangely, two days later, something changes again. Renee does move back in with Brent, and now it's Frazier, her lover, seething with anger that she's gone back to her husband. But the family is back together, for now. Renee moved back in with Brent and gave him the impression that she was committed to the marriage. You know, they started going back to church. You know, she was playing the role of, you know, I really want this marriage to work. Even though his family thinks he should get a divorce, when she finds out that she's not going to get what she wants out of the divorce and begs him to come back, that had to feed his psyche of, I was right, our love is unbreakable, and she knows that I'm the one that she belongs with. It feeds that part of his ego that needs to be a rescuer and needs to make her life better. But while Renee is saying all the right things, her actions are telling a different story. She never unpacked. She just brought the boxes in, threw them on the floor, even had a friend say, you know, why haven't you unpacked? I thought you and Brent were back together. And, and she said, why should? I'm not going to be here very long. Instead of unpacking, Renee spends every spare minute sneaking around with the one person she promised never to see again, John Frazier. She was still involved and still communicating with John Frazier throughout the time that she was back home. When Renee moved back in, I honestly think my brother had no idea that she was continuing a relationship with him. There were other people that saw them together. There were other people that saw the minute Brent left for work, John's car pulled back into the driveway. In fact, the ex-stripper's steamy affair has never been hotter. Renee Poole used sex to manipulate men. She would use sex to manipulate John Fraser. She used sex to manipulate Brent Poole. And she would use sex to manipulate any other man she was engaged in a relationship with. 
she paid him a lot of attention and she fed that ego and she gave him that feeling of he was the most attractive, important man on earth. And because he was deeply insecure and very sexually motivated, their relationship seemed to be more sexual than emotional, he became truly putty in her hands. I think John Frazier wanted a relationship with uh, Renee. I definitely believe John was in love with Renee and was going to do anything for her. At first, Renee is able to keep her rekindled affair a secret. But one night soon after Renee moves home, a confrontation at the Silver Fox pits Renee's lover against her husband. John Frazier came in and they were having some uh, stares at each other. And at some point while they were in the bar, John Frazier produced a pair of Renee's panties and began to dab the sweat off of his forehead. So it was a confrontation, you know, some heated words. John Frazier used some derogatory language toward Brent, kind of calling him coward in much uglier language. Brent, of course, he didn't want any part of fighting anybody, and Brent ended up leaving the club shortly thereafter. After the confrontation, Frazier is furious, and Renee seizes the opportunity. She wants Brent out of the picture, but has something much more sinister than divorce in mind. The manipulation by Renee Poole of John Frazier, again, was almost a chemical reaction. He had to be somebody who could be manipulated. But she sensed something in him. And probably it was that devotion. It was that idea that he was so enamored with her. That really just almost was like putting up a big sign that said, exploit me, use me, I will do anything for you. And surely she convinced John Frazier, he's the good one, Brent's the bad one, and she needs to be saved from this bad husband who doesn't care about her at all. She and John Frazier begin putting together a plan to end the marriage without a divorce. They began a process of step-by-step -step planning the murder of Brent Poole. That way she could have her baby, she could have her things, she could have her house, you know, she could have the lifestyle that she wants and be rid of Brent at the same time. For the next two weeks, Renee and Frazier continue to plot. Brent has no idea of the evil that lies ahead. In late May, Renee approaches her husband with what seems to be an attempt at a fresh start. June 9th was Renee and Brent's wedding anniversary, and she proposed that they come to the beach for a, just kind of a long weekend, or three or four day trip, it wasn't a long trip, to kind of rekindle the flame. On the surface, Renee's plan looks like an attempt to reconcile their fractured marriage. But in reality, it's the first step down the path to murder. There were arrangements being made, time being taken off work, steps being taken, and they're having to talk to make sure they've got their dates lined up and their times lined up so they can make this happen. The plan is already in place to kill Brent, to get him to Myrtle Beach, to get him isolated, and to get him killed. Renee and Brent Poole are looking forward to their beach vacation, but for very different reasons. What seems like an anniversary celebration in the beginning of their better future together is actually something much darker and more deadly. Former stripper-turned-housewife Renee Poole feels trapped in her stale marriage and has made the decision to get out of it by murdering her husband. 
and she seduced her lover, John Frazier, into doing the deed. He would do anything to be with her. And when she can have that much power over a man, well, again, that fed that personal need for attention and the power and control which she otherwise wouldn't have in her life. On June 8, 1998, Renee, her unsuspecting husband Brent, and their daughter Katie make the four-hour drive from Winston-Salem, North Carolina to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Renee has made reservations at the Carolina Winds, a high-rise hotel on the north end of town. And for the first two days, everything seems perfect. Brent was having the time of his life. He was having so much fun. He was like, this is a blast. Katie's loving the beach. Katie's loving the water. But on June 9th, the day of Renee and Brent Poole's third wedding anniversary, this beautiful setting will turn ugly with betrayal. After a day at the beach, Renee arranges for a babysitter to watch Katie. On their anniversary night, they're going to have a date night. Renee had even gone so far as to, well before the trip, to make arrangements to have a babysitter there at the hotel to care for Katie so they can go out just the two of them together. At 9 p.m., the babysitter arrives, and Renee and Brent go out for the night. Well, they ended up going back south along Kings Highway, played pool, got something to eat, and headed back towards Myrtle Beach. Renee proposes to Brent that they go by a uh, beach towel and they make love in the sand dunes. Brent probably thinks, I've hit the jackpot. Around 11 p.m., the two make their way from the lights and activity of the streets into the quiet darkness of the beach not far from their hotel. Brent unfurls a beach towel, and the two start to undress. Quickly, things become hot and heavy. They make love just out of public view, in the shadows. And he's just having the best time, and he's having a great time at the beach, and his wife wants to do this you know, kind of adventurous thing, and that sounds exciting to him. In the afterglow, they head back to the hotel to relieve the babysitter. As Renee and Brent are walking southbound on the beach, in the sand dunes, they see a, a rather large figure dressed all in black. They look at each other and it's like, who is this guy? The man in black is John Frazier. And he's here with a deadly purpose. He robs them, takes Brent's wallet, and he's armed with a pistol. Brent was, you know, begging for his life, begging for this person not to do anything. Frazier is jittery and sweating profusely. Renee says they are told to lay on their back in an L position, like their feet are touching together. Frazier nervously aims the gun at Brent's head. His finger slowly squeezes the trigger. But all he hears is a click. He pulls the trigger again. Another click. The gun has jammed. The gun misfired, and she heard Brent continue to beg. And the guy said, why shouldn't I kill you? And Brent said, because I have a little two-year-old that I love very much. Brent's pleas fall on deaf ears. Frazier squeezes again. With one blast, a bullet rips through the side of Brent's head. 
he aims the gun and shoots again. The person shot Brent one more time on the other side of the head. And after that time, he takes off running over the sand dunes. Five minutes pass. A patrol car drives by and spots Renee. She runs up to the car. We overheard on the radio that there was uh, one of our beach patrols was flagged down by a female who indicated that her husband had been shot. We all looked at each other in surprise, like shot at, at 82nd Avenue, 81st Avenue North, which is just totally not that type of area where something like a shooting would happen. For Renee, the murder has gone exactly as planned, except for one inconvenient detail. When EMTs arrive, Brent is still breathing. With Brent clinging to life in the hospital, police take Renee to the station to get her story. Though she's used to being on the stage, the murderous ex-stripper now has to give the performance of her life. In the early hours of June 10th, 1998, Brent Poole is rushed to the emergency room of a Myrtle Beach hospital. He has two bullets lodged in his head, a victim of an apparent robbery. While hospital workers desperately try to save Brent, detectives are trying to get the facts from his wife, Renee. They don't know yet that the gunman was her lover, John Frazier. But Renee's story isn't adding up. There was something different and odd about this homicide just because of where it happened. Um, it happened on the northern end of the beach, which was normally a very quiet area. She said that the killer made them both lie down in the sand and shot Brent and robbed him. And this was supposedly a robbery, and yet her jewelry uh, she retained possession of. When I first saw Renee at the police department, I just, something wasn't right about her because of her, her non-emotional state on everything. And I remember speaking with our captain at the time, and he said, he goes, something's not right with her. She's lying about something. But also on the flip side, we had to treat her with kid gloves because she was a victim, technically, from what she was, was telling us. Meanwhile, the fight to save Brent Poole is futile. Just past midnight, the day after his third wedding anniversary, he's pronounced dead. The Myrtle Beach Police Department calls Brent's family with the tragic news. And he said, there's been an accident on the beach. I said, what kind of accident? He said, well, there was a confrontation. Your son was involved and said he didn't make it. I said, uh, what do you mean he didn't make it? He said, he's been killed. I'm not even sure that it sank in until we pulled in the driveway of my parents' house and you could hear them screaming. I'll never forget that sound as long as I live. Brent's family is numb with shock as they prepare to drive to the murder scene. But before leaving for South Carolina, they relay a vital piece of information to the police. And the Poole family said there was uh, problems in the marriage and need to ask about a person named John Frazier because that was her boyfriend. And that's how we came upon his name. The detectives turn up the heat on Renee. 
We were trying to find out who John Frazier was. And I remember asking her, could it have been John Frazier that was on the beach that night? And she replied that it could have been him, but she wasn't sure. As dawn breaks, they still have no concrete evidence. Renee is released. It looks like she's gotten away with murder. Over the following days, the grief-stricken family makes plans to bury Brent, but they are plagued by questions. I did not realize that Renee had anything to do with it, but rumors were spreading like crazy. You know, at that point in time, I'm thinking, how else could this happen? You know, how could Brent be at the right place at the right time? And why was Renee not injured or harmed in any way? But I am because she's a family member. I'm hoping against hope that she wasn't involved. But my gut says something doesn't smell right here. Something isn't right here. The Myrtle Beach detectives know things aren't right either. Together with the Winston-Salem Police Department, they try to crack the case. Through interviews, they find three key pieces of information. First, John Frazier was the owner of a gun like the one that killed Brent. Second, he'd requested vacation time from his job for the time Renee and Brent would be in Myrtle Beach. And most damning, two eyewitnesses reported seeing Frazier near the entrance to the beach that night. Frazier is arrested, but the investigation isn't over. We had the one lingering question, how did John Frazier know they were going to be there? So we, we knew at that time that she was involved in it because there's, uh, it was just so much culpability on her part of how John Frazier knew that they were going to be in Myrtle Beach at that time. And uh, we knew that we, uh, we had to do another interview with her. Renee is called back in for another interview. This time, she cracks. That's when the truth really began to come out, that she knew who it was, that it was John Boyd Frazier. He talked me into luring Brent down there so he could kill him, and I helped him do that. Finally, they have everything they need to arrest Renee. Renee Poole and John Frazier are extradited down to South Carolina, where they await their trials in the Horry County Courthouse. On November 8th, 1999, 22-year-old Renee Poole is brought to trial for murder and criminal conspiracy. On November 13th, after five days of trial, the judge finally delivers his verdict. Both Renee and John Frazier are found guilty. The case lasted a week. We started on Monday, we finished on Saturday. The jury was out about nine hours. Well, our prayer from day one had been for justice. The thought was, uh, if it's Renee and it appeared that it had to be, maybe we would get justice for Brent. When we were sitting there in the courtroom and the jurors had gone out to deliberate, it was probably some of the hardest hours of my life. I think Renee was shocked when they came back and said, guilty, you know, and I feel like she got the sentence she deserves. 
She lies, she deceives, she puts on the happy face for her husband. She says she wants to work on the marriage and he believes her. That gives her a sense of power. And the problem is, as she moves along the trajectory of finding out how good she is at this, that feeling of power makes her even bolder, makes her act in rash ways, and probably makes her overcalculate the success of her plan and her strategy.